Let's pray together. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, um, let's just take a moment and before I start praying and remember who it is that we're praying to. There's a lot going on in our world and particularly in our country here in the United States. And so we have to remember that the God that we pray to is the God who has no beginning and no end. And he is in control. He is the king. He is the Lord. And no matter what is happening, we can rest. So whatever's going on in your world, I just want to, again, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person with us, just take a moment, even want to kind of open up your hands where you're at and just receive the fact that God is with us. Father, we come to you so humbly, but so often so anxious. And God, we have to learn that you, you walk slowly. As one author said, you're a three mile an hour God. Because that is the pace at which we walk. And so help us to be reminded that you walk with us. And that no matter what's going on, that you're in control. Help us to Rest in that fact. That problems existed before we existed. Problems will exist after we exist. But none of it, it exists outside of your control. And so God, I pray as we open up your word today that you would speak to us. You'd remind us. Like we see in the book of Micah that you call us to live differently. And that differentness has got to come out of a different place in us. Well, that can't come out of an anxiousness in us. It's got to come out of a rest and trust in us, in you. And so God, I pray as we open your word, you would do that. You would give us rest. You would speak to us. You would help me to preach it in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's always good to slow down and be reminded of that fact that God is in control. And I'm not a guy that um, slows down that well. In fact, God has to do some, you know, gymnastics in my life to get me to slow down because I don't, I just like to go, go, go. And, I, and I'm a typical type of person, which I would even say a typical type of American person that just doesn't do well with processing a lot of things and just moves on to the next thing. But we've been talking about in this season that we're in in 2020 that God wants to wrestle with us. And a part of God 
wrestling with us is, a, is him slowing us down. It is him getting our attention. It is him talking to us, working with us. And it, he does it in so many different unique ways that it's hard for us to see that. But, but if, we're, if we really slow down enough to pay attention to it, then we can see that God is working even in the midst of the wrestle. In fact, he brought the wrestle to work in us. And that's what we talked about in our last series when we were talking about the story of Jacob and how literally God wrestled with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. And then last week, we, we kind of extended that and moved into the book of Micah and talked about not only did God wrestle with a specific person in Jacob, but he wrestles with groups of people. And that's how we live. We live in community. We are the church. And, and even though we are alone, we're together. As, as one guy said, I love the phrase, we are all alone together. And so God deals with us as individuals but he also deals with us as groups, as a together, as the church. And that's why we're transitioning. That's why we did transition into the book of Micah, because my whole contention last week was, if you were here, when we went through Micah 1, if you weren't, you can go back and watch that online. That in the same way God was wrestling with Jacob, Jacob now turned into the nation of Israel, and God is wrestling with the nation of Israel. And he's wrestling with them for the very specific same reasons that he was wrestling with Jacob because there was a duplicity. There was a division. And I explained this last week. Again, I won't get into all of it. Just kind of a quick recap here in case you weren't here last week. But the very same thing that happened with Jacob, he was a divided person. He was a double person. He wasn't an integrated person. He wasn't an emotionally healthy person. Happened was repeated generations later in the people of Israel. So they have their kings, and now they're on multiple kings, and then they split, literally split, into two nations. And my contention was, not only are we on the cusp, I think, in our own nation of splitting, but, but more importantly, the church can be on the cusp of splitting into two based upon racial divisions or political divisions or whatever it may be. And so we're reading the book of Micah to understand that in the same kind of ways that God was dealing with them, I think God's dealing with us. Now, my contention to you last week, and it's a principle whenever you're reading particularly historical or prophetic books in the Old Testament, that's not written to us, but it is for us. And so there's going to be some specific things, again, in Micah chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Micah chapter 2, by the way. If you don't know where Micah is, it's right after the book of Jonah, all right? If you don't know where Jonah is, just go to the table contents. It's easy for everybody, all right? But Micah's in the, in the book of minor prophets, and, it, and it's not that he is a minor prophet. It's just it's called minor because it's short. It's only seven chapters. But we're going to spend 10 weeks in this, so now until the end of the year, and we're going to look at this message that, that I think is for us, even though it wasn't written specifically to us, because it's in our Bible for a reason. So let me say it to you like this. God doesn't want us to repeat the same mistakes that Israel did. God doesn't want us to have to go through the same process, the same wrestles, because we weren't willing to listen to the message of Micah. And there's two primary themes in the message of Micah, and you're going to see them in chapter two today. In fact, you're going to see them in pretty much every chapter as we go through it, is judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy. Now, when we talk about judgment, people don't like that. Well, Micah two is for you, all right? I'm going to tell you why that's necessary, but God is gracious. And so he never talks about judgment without mercy. So those are the two big themes. So you ready to jump in? Let's jump in. Micah chapter two, 
We're going to do the whole chapter, verses 1 through 13. So let's start in verse 1 and 2. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power uh, or it is in the power of their hand. Verse 2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Now, again, let's stop and chat here. The whole point of God judging Israel is God called Israel in the exact same way he calls the church to live differently than the nations around them. He calls Israel and he calls the church to live differently than the culture around us. And I told you last week that the whole reason we're doing this series is a discipleship issue where we understand that discipleship is putting off the habits of our family of origin and our culture, and then putting on the new self, putting on the new ways that God wants us to live in his new family. So we, we have a family of origin. We learned how to live. We learned how to survive. But when you trust Christ, you're baptized into a new family. And this new family does things differently than the old family. So this new group of people does things differently than the old group of people. And that's the point. And so the key verse in Micah chapter 6, which again, we'll get into after Thanksgiving, is, or the key verse in Micah is Micah chapter 6 verse 8, where he says to them, what does God want but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy or love, and to walk humbly with God? So the judgment that God is bringing down on the people of God at this instance is they aren't doing those things. They aren't doing justice. They aren't loving kindness and mercy, and they aren't walking humbly with God. So again, what you see here in verse 1 and 2 is evidence of them not doing justice, not living justly. And here's what they were doing. It was a, it was a time of great prosperity in their history, again, from 750 BC to 700 BC. And what they were doing was they were just buying up everything that their heart wanted. If they saw it, if they wanted it, they saw it, they got it. Even so, they were stealing from other people. Not, not stealing in the sense of how, you know, you're just going to break into somebody's house and rob something, but they set up systems and structures to where if they wanted something, it benefited them. They would just go and take it. They would dream up ways to just get wealthier. They would dream up ways to just get richer. They would dream up ways to just benefit and bless themselves. And that upset God. And it upset God to the point where you're going to see in a second, God is going to come and judge them. But there's a couple things I want to point out here in these first two verses that I think are so important. And it's interesting that Micah says it the way that he does. He says, first, they devise it, and then they do it. They think it up, and then they do it. And here's why I think it's so important to do a series like this, particularly at a time like this, is because we see a lot of hatred today. And again, I'm not talking about the nation. I'm not the president. I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. I'm talking about the people of God. I'm talking about the church. We see a lot of divisiveness. We see a lot of just grabbing and taking, and this is about me or my way and my preference. And that comes from those actions come from a heart that's divided to the point that says, you know what? I don't care about what blesses you. I'm going to do what blesses me. I don't, I don't care about what 
good is for you, I'm going to do what is good for me. I'm reminded of a verse, and I don't have this on the screen, but you can write it down as a reference. Proverbs 3.27, it says this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So a lot of times, sin, and this is important for us, sin is not just the, the bad things that we do that we shouldn't have done, but sin, a lot of times, is good things that we should have done but didn't do. See, there's sins of commission, I committed them, and then there's sins of omission, things I omitted, things that I should have done that I didn't do. So there's doubly what's going on here with the people of God. Not only were they committing sins in that, they were just trying to take, 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 get everything for themselves, but they weren't doing good to those that God had called them to do good to. Why? Because they had become obsessed with something else other than God. They'd become obsessed with something else other than God. And here's why this message is so important for us. So can we, can't we? We can so easily become obsessed with the things of this world. We can so easily become obsessed with wealth. We can so easily become obsessed. Here's one that works. Politics. We can so easily become obsessed with things of this world that we quit doing the things that God called us to do as citizens of another world. And here's a point I want to make to you, and I think this is helpful. And again, I've said, if you've been around here, I started saying this back in 2010, if you've been here that long, but it bears to be repeated. But here's a point I want you to write it down. Obedience follows our obsessions. Obedience follows our obsessions. Have you ever wondered, those of you who are parents, have you ever wondered why your kids did certain things? I'm sure you have. And, and as a parent, what we try to do is we try to bring their obedience or their disobedience rather into line. But one of the failures that we can make a lot of times as parents is we try the outside in approach. Like we just try to get at their actions without getting at their heart. We just try to make sure the outside is clean, make sure everybody else thinks that they're a good kid, right? So we, we try to bring into line their disobedience into obedience without first addressing the heart, without first addressing, well, okay, well, if obedience follows obsessions, then you're only disobeying because you're obsessed with something else, because it's a natural connection, in fact, the verse that was on the screen, especially if you're watching online, when, right before I came out here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus fundamentally understood this. He said, listen, it's, it's a no-brainer. This is, this is an inseparable link. Your money follows your obsessions. It's simple. He says, no one can serve two masters. You either love God or you love money. It's that simple. And so you want to know what you're obsessed with? Follow your money. It's, it's easy. And this is why when people, when I talk about giving to the church, people get upset about it. They're like, well, only reason why you get upset about it is because you're so obsessed with other things that if you were to not give to those things and give to the church, then your money wouldn't be following what you were really obsessed by. You would be giving to something that you weren't as obsessed by. Did you follow me in that train of thought? What I meant was this. If you gave to the church without actually being obsessed with God, 
then it would feel like, oh no, I'm not as obsessed with God. I'm obsessed with this. And that's why my money goes there. And so as a pastor, my job, again, is not to just attack the outside in, like from a parent's perspective, like I was talking about, but it's to attack from inside out to say, listen, if your heart has changed, your money will follow. If your heart has changed, if your obsessions are changed, your obedience will follow. It's that simple. And, and what was happening to the people of God in Micah is they were simply obsessed with the wrong things. They were obsessed. They were overly obsessed with the kingdom of men. Why? Because they saw all the other kingdoms around them and they wanted to be bigger and better. We do this all the time. You love your house until you see your best friend get a bigger one, right? You love your car until you see your best friend get a nicer one. You love those old Wrangler jeans until you see your new friend or a friend get some nicer ones, right? And then all of a sudden, like you're now unhappy. Why? Because you're, again, we have to be careful. We can be so obsessed with the things that we see that we miss out on the things that are unseen. So why is God bringing judgment on his people? It's not just simply that they were disobeying, although that was enough. But their disobedience was coming out of a place of an evil heart. Their heart, their affections, their obsessions were in the wrong place. Another way I could say it is obedience just follows affections. But, you know, I like alliteration, so obedience follows obsession. Sounds better. What else were they doing? Look at this. Verse 3. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. See, they were devising it and then doing it. Right? So there's always two creations. It happened in your mind first before it happened in your hands. And then God says, You know what? You've been planning how to get richer, how to, how to bless yourself, how to just look out for yourself. Guess what? I've been planning too. It's interesting because God uses the exact same words. This word here, devising, is the same word that he used there in verse 1. They were devising wickedness. Well, God was devising disaster. And what's very interesting is the word disaster is the same root word of the word evil. See, God doesn't devise evil, but he will use disaster to get your attention to quit doing evil. So God was planning too. And what was he going to do? He was going to bring disaster. Why? Because they were, don't miss that. Look back again. They were walking haughtily. Now that's not a word in English we use very much. It's kind of gone out of practice. We should bring it back, I think. But haughtily, what's interesting, the Hebrew word here is higher. It's the idea, if you were here for Jacob, I illustrated how before Jacob was walking, uh, before Jacob wrestled Jesus, he was walking like, you know, man, I got this. He was walking with the limp. It was a different kind of limp. It was a limp because he had so much money in his pocket, right? He was just, yeah, I got this, man. And then God wrestles him and he walks with a different kind of limp. A limp from, from disaster that God brought. And why did God bring disaster? Why did God dislocate his hip? So that Jacob will quit dislocating his soul. That's why. 
And he's doing the same thing with the people of God in Micah. Say, listen, y'all are walking around thinking that you're all that. Y'all are walking around only seeing what's in front of you to the point where you're devising plans in your heart and you're walking around high. Not high, literally like high. You're walking around. You're thinking more of yourself. Here's what's really interesting to me. The Hebrew word there for haughtily, the very next word, if you had like Strong's Dictionary or something, the very next word, that's a study tool, by the way, if you didn't know that, in Hebrew, that's so similar. In fact, there's only one letter difference. The very, very similar word to haughty is the Hebrew word for praise. Let me give you the definition of that word. It's the verbal expression. Listen to this. This You'll understand why they're together of high status to a person. So the word for praise in Hebrew is the verbal expression of high status to a person. And it got me thinking. See, the higher you and I think we are, then the lower God is to us. Because we think we're high. We think we're pretty close. We think we're all that. It's like Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. They were trying to build a tower to the sky, proving who they were. And God's like, Pfft. And here's what I want you to see. The higher you think you are in your own mind, the more you're bringing God down. But the lower you go about yourself in your own mind, the higher God will be. So, so listen to it like this. I can't praise God adequately if I don't have a right view of myself. I can't praise God adequately. What do I mean by that? I will praise him from a stature where I think I'm pretty close to him. I will think, you know, I mean, I'm pretty close to God, you know? I mean, I'm pretty high. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I mean, God is so lucky to have me on his team. This is when Jesus told the story of the two people who came down to the altar and the guy said, God, I've done all this. I've done all this. And thank you. I'm not like this guy. And then the next guy says, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, one of them went away justified. And it wasn't the one who thought he didn't need that much mercy. It was the other one. So your praise of God is connected to the right view of yourself and the right view of yourself is you better go as low as you possibly can, which is what Micah 6, 8 says, right? To walk humbly with your God. What is the opposite of walking haughtily? Humbly. High, low. So the people of God in Israel were thinking way too highly of themselves. Verse 4. In that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he lots our fields. Verse five, therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, people of God, you've thought way too highly of yourself. So much so... And this is where we got to be so careful as Christians. So much, you're so high, you're looking down your nose at others. 
See, the right posture of a Christian is not to look down at anyone, but to look up because you're the lowest one, is to see others better than yourself, right? And so God says, you know what? I'm going to take you down a notch or two. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to use the very same thing that you did to get yourself ahead to destroy you. The very thing that you were putting your trust in, I'm going to do away with. Your lands, your wealth, your status, your stuff, all these things that you were devising to get ahead, I'm devising a plan to bring disaster on. Why? Because God hates people that are blessed? No. Because God doesn't want us to have money? No. Because God doesn't want us to think too highly of ourselves because we have all those things. That's why. Now, look at verse six. This is the part that makes me laugh and partly because, and not laugh in like a funny way, but laugh in like, it's very personal to me because look at verse six. How do the people respond to this message of judgment? Verse six, do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And then Jake, uh, Micah responds, should this be said, O house of Jacob? Now remember, their name is not Jacob anymore. It's Israel and Judah, because remember, they're divided. But why does he call them, O house of Jacob? Because he's saying, listen, you act like you got the name Israel. You act like you got a new nature, but you're living by your old one. You acting like you Israel, but you really Jacob. And then he says this, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. The reason why I said I laugh about this is because, again, I got to be honest with you. As a pastor, it's not like I've been thoroughly excited to preach the book of Micah to you. This is not the kind of message a lot of times or a message series a lot of times where people just applaud. Pastor, thank you for judging us. Pastor, thank you for preaching judgment on us. Man, I just love that. I just love you calling all this out in us. I just love the fact that you are so about the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of men, so much so that you keep calling us out of this political craziness and back into, into the word of God. You're judging us. Thank you for that. People don't say that. What do people do? Well, you can go into the New Testament. I'm not going to do it. But when Paul is giving some of the pastoral epistles, he says, listen, this is going to come a day. Well, people will tell you, don't talk like this. They won't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. They will only want to hear sermons that make me feel good. They don't want to hear sermons that call out sin because our culture says those aren't sins anymore because I got some special knowledge and you know, you, you miss, that's not a sin. I mean, I know for thousands and thousands of years in Christian history, it was a sin, but it ain't now. Don't, don't. Don't talk like, I don't want that. These, these are the kind of messages, if, if we weren't in the COVID season, these are the kind of messages that pastor calls space makers. Because these are the kind of messages that kind of empty out about a certain percentage of your church. Now, I'm telling you this before it happens so that hopefully it doesn't happen. Again, we're like at 40% you know, of what we were pre-COVID anyway. But I'm telling you this, why? Look at that phrase again. 
He says, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. See, the words of Micah are good to those who want good. The words of Micah are good to people who are walking, this is interesting, uprightly. How do I walk uprightly? I walk rightly. My posture is correct. I'm not high thinking more of myself arrogant. You know, the problem is out there. The problem is that political party or that person or these group. No, the problem is me. So it's interesting to me, again, why I said I laugh, that the response Micah got a lot of times was the response that pastors and preachers get today is, hey, don't, don't talk like that. And, it, and it's sad to a degree that in 2,700 years, the people of God haven't changed much. But if you, if you want to walk uprightly, then you want someone to tell you the truth, no matter how bad it is. Is it wrong for your doctor to tell you that you have cancer? Is it unloving? No. Now, it's the worst news you'll ever hear. But is it unloving? Mm -mm. Look at the next verse, verse 8. But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. You know what he says there? You're just you're looking for a fight with anybody. You're just, you're just trying to, and he, he didn't even, Mike didn't even know about social media. Like you're just, you're just people who wake up trustingly with no thought of war. You're just picking fights. You're just trying to be an enemy to everyone. And here's what you need to understand. When you, when you and I are consistently an enemy to other people unnecessarily, we become an enemy to God. Jesus said it like this, those that you, what you do to the least of those, you do to me. So who are the least of those? Well, we typically think the people who are living under the bridges, right? The homeless. Well, yeah, I'm not saying they're not, but, but no, let me ask, who are the least of those to you? In your mind, who's the least? I would probably say right now, it's the opposite political party, right? That's the least. And if we're just picking fights all the time, then we're not loving kindness and mercy. He goes on, look at this. This, this is the one. Oh, not yet. Let me read verse 9. Sorry, I want to get to verse 10. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. What is he saying? For those that you should have been caring about, you don't. The widows, the orphans, you don't care. It's just about how can I get ahead. Verse 10, this is the one who really hit me. Arise and go. He's saying, listen, you're going to exile. 722, it happened. For this, this is no place to rest. Why? Because of uncleanliness that destroys with grievous destruction. This is no place of rest. What is he getting at there? I want you to, I want you to think about this. There's so much anxiety right now, right? So much unrest in our society. You want to know why? Because we've forgotten where rest comes from. Rest comes from walking rightly. 
That's where rest comes from. You know this to be true because in your life, when you've made a, a string of horrible decisions, were you very restful? Like, were you restful when you try to live your life without God? When you try to find joy and happiness and love and peace and patience and kindness and, and gentleness, when you tried to find all those things outside of the God, were you restful? Was your soul restful? Like, were you restful when you had bigger stuff and, and bigger, you know, you know, it's the people with the big houses, and the nice stuff. That's the one who has all the rest, right? No, they just have more to worry about. So where does rest come from? Rest comes from walking rightly. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. He said, there's no rest in the house of God. Why? Because there's no cleanliness in the house. There's no holiness in the house. There's no love in the house. There's, there's none of what God is in the house. Now, listen, I'm not trying to preach a works-based message here. But what I'm trying to get you to see, again, obedience follows obsessions, is the most restful thing that the people of God can do in unrestful situations is double down on trying to live rightly. Why? Because I can't control what happens in the streets, but I can control what happens in my heart. I can't control what happens with you. I can't control what happens in this church. Y'all say stuff, do stuff, post stuff all the time. I'm like, that's horrible. I can't control that. But what can I control? I can control whether or not I'm living out of an anxiousness that's causing more unrest everywhere I go. Let me say it to you like this. The best way to bring rest is for you to be at rest. The best way to bring rest into your marriage is to, for you and me to allow God to clean out the uncleanliness in us and for our heart to be at rest so that when the unrestfulness happens in our home, we are now the agent of rest in the unrest. You with me? But the people of God missed that. They missed it because the idea of holiness and kingdom of God living and loving your neighbor as yourself and all, and, you know, loving your enemy, Jesus. I mean, Jesus, mm, doing that? that? That went out the window. But God, again, this is why I think God wanted us to read through this in this season is to say, listen, you and I can't control the unrest that happens in our streets. But if the church of God doesn't move out into the streets restful, then it will never bring rest. And so restfulness starts in my heart, in the house, and then into the world. And what brings rest? Living rightly. So think about it like this. Every time you and I sin or bring uncleanness in, we're actually not only doing violence to ourselves, but violence to others. Because we're not doing the good that we could have done, that we had the power to do. We don't do it. Why? Because I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm anxious and, and unrestful and I got all this junk going on, am I very conscious of the needs of others around me? No, I'm just trying to get through. And that's what they were failing to do. Look at verse 11. 
He says, if a man should go about and utter winds and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. This again, I laugh. He would be the preacher for this people. What is he saying? People don't want a preacher. They're going to call out if they're loving people on Facebook. People want a preacher that'll say, hey, man, let's just drink. Hey, man, I mean, come on, this world's crazy. I mean, didn't Solomon say, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Isn't that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible, but it's not a prescription. Not everything in the Bible you should do. All right? But what I'm trying to get you to see Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. I'm trying to get you to see that I love you enough to tell you the words of God so that you and I will live differently tomorrow. So that we'll live differently tomorrow. Because listen, you can vote this week and you should vote this week, but the solution is not in a president. The solution is in the person of Jesus. But is Jesus here right now in bodily form? No. But wait. Yes. Why? Because what is the church called? The what of Christ? The body of Christ. So the, the body is here. But if the church of God is anxious and unrighteous and sinful and unloving, how do you expect the world to be? Let's go on. That's enough judgment for one day, all right? So let's end with some mercy. Verse 12 and 13. I will surely assemble all of you. Now, this is God talking. Mike is writing it down. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in its pasture. I love this phrase. A noisy multitude of men. I think that should go on our website description. Here's our gathering times. What's it like? It's a noisy multitude, not of just men, but biblically speaking, that's the reference to the family. So it's a noisy, but multitude of men just rolls off the tongue, right? Alliteration. Now, here's what's really, in the age of COVID, are our churches right now a noisy multitude of men? No. Our locations right now in Canton and Jasper aren't, it's not bustling and full of life the way it was pre-COVID. But there's a remnant. Now listen, I'm not saying the remnant is everybody who's coming to a location. If you're watching online, you're still the remnant, all right? And there may be honestly legitimate reasons that you're not worshiping with us in person together. That, that's totally fine while we, have, while we have it. Health reasons, job reasons, totally fine. But it's interesting to me at this season that this verse jumped out to me because what God was saying is, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to scatter you. And that's what he did in the exile. I'm going to scatter you. But he says, but I will gather you again. I'll gather you again. I'll bring you together again. And I'm going to bring you together like sheep into a fold. Like flock into a pasture, a noisy multitude. What, a noisy multitude is like when all these people just talking and life is happening. 
So here's what I thought of. Again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty who's not gathering with us in person. That's not the point. But what I'm saying is this. When you live for the kingdom of God, you prioritize gathering with God's people. When you live as the people of God for the kingdom of God, you prioritize gathering with people. Now, we have certain limits to our gatherings right now, straight up. We couldn't handle everybody to come back in person. We don't have the team members in in our kids' areas to do that. We don't have all the people serving that we used to have. People have left our church for a wide range of reasons. But one day, the gathering of the people of God, I'm praying, will be a noisy multitude once again, right? Come on. I mean, I'm looking forward to that day. But I'm... But even though we can't do it in practice, I'm trying to highlight a principle here. And what's that principle? The principle is this. When we live as the people of God, we prioritize what God prioritizes. That's what we do. And what does God prioritize? He prioritizes coming together, worship, the reading of his word, and then going out and living on mission. And then coming back together and worship and fellowship and communion and praying together and worshiping together and hearing the word and then going out. It's, it's almost like God made the body of Christ to do what our body does. It breathes in and it breathes out and it breathes in and it breathes out and it breathes in and it breathes out. And there's this beautiful rhythm that happens. Well, COVID disrupted that rhythm, didn't it? This, this rhythm of like, man, we were breathing in together every weekend and God was rocking and man, we were, I mean, we had so much stuff planned to talk about what God's doing here and in Kenya and all this crazy stuff and like breathing in, breathing out. We're coming together, worshiping, going out and breathing life, coming back in and receiving, going out and breathing life. And, and I'm looking forward to the day, which that day is here to a limited degree where we can do that. But, but here's what I'm saying. But even when that rhythm was there, that we could do it in practice, people weren't prioritizing it. They weren't prioritizing the gathering together. And and so this season has disenfranchised some people, has disaffected people, has disconnected people. Some people have left because they've got mad at something I've said or something my staff members said or something that happened. So I just want to recognize that. Like, I get it. That stuff has happened. However, What I'm getting to you is this. The principle is this. The people of God don't just run. The people of God, the remnant, come back. They gather together again. And you know what? They work through the weirdness. I think that should be a, I don't know if it's a book title, but whenever one day I write a book, it should be a chapter title. Work through the weirdness. Is it weird to come and RSVP? Heck yeah, it is. You got to RSVP every week to come to church. Who wants to do that? It's weird. It's weird to see people in masks and non-masks. And it's weird. But guess what? Healthy people work through the weirdness. The, the remnant work through the weirdness. But they work it through. Why? Because they understand that they humble. They need the people of God. There are no Lone Rangers in Christianity. 
They need to gather together. They need to breathe in the life of God, the life of the people of God, so that they can go and breathe out on their neighbors. And see, the people of God had forgotten that so much so, and I told you this last week, but they had changed who and what they were worshiping when they gathered together. Verse 13, but who is it that we worship? I love this verse. Mike is no longer quoting God here. He writes this himself. He opens the breach. Sorry, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Oh. Their king passes on before them. The Lord at their head. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, judgment's coming. I'm going to scatter you. There's going to come a day I'm going to gather you. And who's going to lead the procession? The king. Jesus. King Jesus. I love how he says this. He who opens the breach goes up before them. He who opens the breach goes up before them. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. Ain't got nothing on Jesus. What is the breach? It's the grave. The breach, the thing that was locked, the thing that held us all down, that held us all in slavery. Death. The breach was opened up, though, (laughs) before them. And they break through and pass the gate. See, Jesus opened the breach for us. He opened the portal for us back to have a relationship with God. And now we can pass through the gate freely because of Jesus. Because he's our king. And he passes on before us. He's the Lord at their head. He's the head of the body, the church, Paul says. You want to know why? The people of God love to gather together because they love to worship their king. They love to sing about the fact that he opened up the doorway out of death. They love to celebrate and high five and congratulate and be like, well, can you believe this? He brought us back. He brought us back out of judgment, out of exile. He did all that because our king, King Jesus, opened up the breach and now we can pass through. We can pass through. And the reason why I'm stressing this again, because remember, there's a lot of unrest out there, but unrest out there is never going to be solved until there's rest in his house. And, And what is the rest in his house? Well, Hebrew tells us it comes through Christ. And so the people of God prioritize what God prioritizes, gathering together and then scattering and then gathering and then scattering and gathering and scattering to do justice, to love mercy and kindness, and to walk humbly. Now, listen, some of y'all, you've been mad for like seven months because you haven't been gathering. I understand. You've been taking it out on all your Facebook friends because you haven't been gathering. Well, guess what? Come gather and repent and quit being mean to everybody. Come back. Again, I'm not just saying in a physical location. What I'm saying is get your heart right. 
Then let me ask you this question. Have we spent more time and energy on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of men lately? See, obedience follows our what? Obsessions. And I know I'm over, but obedience follows our obsessions. So what are you obsessed about? Well, in the same way you can see what you're obsessed about, you can follow your money, you can follow your feed, your Facebook feed. What are you obsessed about? Have you spent more time and energy in this season worrying about political things? Earthly things? And listen, I love America. I got on a Harley Davidson socks and a red, white, and blue shirt, all right? I love America, but I'm not just a kingdom of America. I'm just a citizen of the kingdom of America, and the president's not my king, which means he's not the one in whom my hope and trust is. Whatever the happens this week with the vote, guess what? I'm going to get up the next day and prioritize the kingdom of God. Gather together and scatter and love my neighbor. That's what I'm going to do. So how much energy and time and passion and obsession and obedience have we given to the kingdom of God? Not the kingdoms of men. Because America will pass away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And I will not be judged by what happens in the world, but I will be judged by what happens in my heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so patient with us. And God, I know messages like this sometimes can seem harsh. But like receiving news from a doctor It can be really hard, but it also can be great because now we know we have a problem and it can be fixed. And so God, I pray that again, we would understand that the greatest threat that exists in the world today exists in our hearts. It's, It's us who devise and plan evil go looking for fights, become very divisive people, not loving our neighbor, not loving the least of these, not doing justice, not loving kindness and mercy, not walking humbly, not living ultimately for the kingdom of God, not reordering our life with our money and our time, investing in the things that are eternal, not temporary. And so, God, I pray that you would call your people back. Again, not back to just a physical location, but back to you. And there may be some of you here or watching online that you haven't trusted God yet, but you're his people and you just didn't even know it. And he used disaster in your life to get your attention. So if that's you, you want to pray and trust God, You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving us that you sent your son in my place. You judged him so I could get mercy. God, thank you. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. I give you my life. 
If you're in one of our locations and you just pray that with me, very simply, you just lift your hand so we can know about that. Thank you. Just got a simple gift we want to give you. And in a moment, if you're in person or online, you have an opportunity to text us your information so we know who you are. But as always, the gathering of the, the people of God, the church, is primarily about believers. And so if you are here or watching and you are a part of the people of God, but if you were honest, you haven't been living primarily for the kingdom of God. And so therefore, you've been very reactionary because you didn't have rest. My prayer for all of us is that the judgment would start with us first. That we wouldn't judge our neighbor or someone who thinks politically differently than us. We would love them and judge ourselves. That we would look inwardly and say, you know, what are the parts of my life where I haven't been walking humbly? I've been thinking too highly of myself. I haven't been loving my neighbor. I haven't been praising God the way I should. I haven't been gathering with the people of God. I haven't been serving. I haven't shown up for a group. I haven't been giving. Because I got out of this rhythm. Whatever it is, I pray that God will speak to you. And you just simply obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Father, thank you. And God, I pray that you would use the message of Micah, and that we wouldn't be the kind of people that say, don't preach this stuff, but we'd be the kind of people that say, no matter how hard it is, tell me, because I want to change. So would you bring it about? And I pray that Revolution Church would show up in our communities as a restful people that are there to bring rest and peace to the unrest that is around us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.